It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Hundreds gathered outside the court, both sides vividly demonstrating what's at stake. Mississippi defended its law, passed in 2018 but blocked by lower courts, that would ban virtually all abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy, at odds with nearly 50 years of Supreme Court rulings. Life is, is so precious, and, and these babies have a chance now, as at 48 years ago they, they may not have. Starting with Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court has repeatedly ruled that states cannot ban abortion before the age of viability, around 24 weeks into a pregnancy. That's why Mississippi's law is a direct challenge to Roe. This is an individual liberty interest for women because it has such a profound effect on our health and our lives and our future. The more liberal justices warn today that overturning Roe would undermine public confidence. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts. Chief Justice John Roberts suggested he would uphold the Mississippi law without explicitly overturning Roe. If it really is an issue about choice, why is 15 weeks not enough time? But several of the court's conservatives appeared willing to rule for abortion opponents who say Roe was wrongly decided and should be overturned, even though abortion rights have been the law of the land for almost 50 years. If we think that uh, the prior precedents are seriously wrong. Why then doesn't the history of this court's practice with respect to those cases tell us that the right answer is actually the return to the position of neutrality? If the Supreme Court did overturn Roe, it wouldn't ban abortion. It would leave it up to individual states. Experts on local laws say 24 states are either certain or very likely to make the procedure illegal. Some already have bans that would go into effect the moment Roe was overturned. All right, Sandy Rios with you. That was an NBC report. I thought it was a good report on what happened at the Supreme Court yesterday. Uh, it's very dramatic. It reminds me, you know, of that moment in any court proceeding, like a criminal prosecution, when the verdict is read. Uh, we didn't have a verdict yesterday, but when you're in that courtroom, there is so much drama. I, the last time I was inside the Supreme Court was when they were arguing uh, for gay marriage. Uh, and it was very dramatic. And you hang on every word that every attorney says and every justice says, and you don't always get it right. You can't tell by the questions or the answers who's actually going to win. And so, um, but outside the courtroom yesterday, there were huge crowds. Uh, there usually are, but I heard some very interesting things about those crowds, and I wanted to ask someone who was actually there yesterday. I was close by, but I didn't make it down to the crowd. I just had to watch it like the rest of you. 
Janae Strachey is with us this morning. She is uh, the grassroots director for Heritage Action. Heritage, of course, is, um, they just welcomed a new president yesterday, by the way, a really strong conservative, and I expect some great things from Heritage. And so um, Janae joins us this morning. She was down there in front of the court watching it all. Janae, good morning, and thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so Janae, what did you see with your eyes? What Describe that scene for us yesterday outside the courtroom. Oh, man. I mean, it, it was just so much energy. And honestly, like, I've been to a lot of rallies outside the Supreme Court, and they can get pretty nasty. Um, but it, there's always a, this really clear line. Um, it was interesting yesterday because the, the uh, Supreme Court police actually literally put up a barricade. So there was a physical line between the two crowds. And it's, it's like night and day difference. You know, our side is, you just feel like the, the hope, the joyfulness, and um, the energy of the crowd and the thousands and thousands of people there versus the other side, there's just this dark, heavy weight uh, over there. And it, it honestly is, is really heartbreaking. And you know, they've just got um, blinders on and a, a darkness and evil about them that they are promoting what they're promoting. Some of you maybe even saw the the clip going around of, of three women literally taking abortion pills on the steps of the Supreme Court as this case is going on. I mean, it gives me shivers as I even think about it. You know, Janae, in all the years that, you know, I've been to the March for Life and on the court, at the court and on the steps of the court and inside the court, the thing that I have observed is that our side, whatever the issue, generally um, does not get very good treatment by Capitol Police. I've seen people tremendously discarded. I've seen discarded, disregarded, is what I meant to say, <laughs> disregarded. Uh, and I've seen, you know, preferential placement given to uh, the, the left, the side that's on the left in terms of where they stand and where the stage is and all of that. Did you experience any of that yesterday? No, I, I really didn't. Honestly, I felt like it was it was really um, fairly handled. And quite frankly, there were more pro-life people out there than there were from the left. So it, it mostly felt very um, joyful and hopeful. And, you know, I, it, I found it interesting, the embassy report that you just played ended by saying that um, it's expected that 24 states will ban abortion if, if Roe is overturned. And I think that is just so incredibly telling, you know, the energy and people that were outside the court yesterday, literally thousands of people, like just a, a massive crowd. Uh, that's just a small sampling of the millions of America Americans across this country that support abortion restrictions, even if they're not um, as pro-life as I am and believe that life at conception um, has value. Even if they're not there, 65%, two-thirds of this country support restrictions after the first trimester. Like, there is overwhelming support for this. It's common sense. The science is caught up. And all the, the thousands of people outside the court yesterday was just a small sampling. And, and I think even what NBC closed with, that there are that many states ready to overturn it. That says to me, people are electing pro-life leaders in their states. People are working hard to get these bills passed at the state and federal level, and it, it's just time that Roe goes. Oh, I think so, of course. Um, you know, I'm really not surprised. When you think about it, on the, the COVID situation, which I don't want to take time talking about now, but I just want to mention that we are discovering that the unifying thing between the left and the right is the vaccination of children. So the unifying, my point is, the unifying thing is 
left and right love their kids. We love our kids. Mm-hmm. We want what's best for our kids. Don't right. mess with our kids. And so even when people on the left, you know, see these uh, 40 ultrasounds and can see that it's a baby or that there's pain when there's abortion or that the baby body parts are torn apart or that they're sold, all of that, right. that strikes at the conscience of people across the spectrum. And so I, I'm not really that surprised. Now, I think um, let's talk about what happened inside the courtroom. Let me let me give a few more details. The, the NBC report was great, but it's Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health. That's, I think, the last abortion clinic left in Mississippi. And uh, this bill that was passed in Mississippi in general would ban abortion after 15 weeks. And we know that if Roe versus Wade is overturned, as was explained. It will go back to the states to decide. So the conversations inside that courtroom are pretty interesting. Scott Stewart uh, is the Mississippi Solicitor General. Uh, Julie Reichelman uh, defended Jackson's Women's Health, and U.S. Solicitor General Elizabeth uh, Preliger or Preloger, whatever her name is, uh, pronounced uh, was the one who defended the uh, administration's position, which is, of course is pro-choice, defend Roe at all costs. Uh, so w- just your comments about what happened from your perspective, Janae, because I know you follow this inside the courtroom. What are your thoughts this morning? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, honestly, I'm really encouraged from it. It, it Really, the, the other side just didn't have an argument. They didn't have an answer. So uh, I can't imagine oral arguments yesterday having gone better, really, and even an, it, good indications from some of the justices. And as you said at the top of this hour, I mean, it, it's hard to tell. We can't, we can't make a prediction. We can't know for sure. Um, but, you know, justices like Kavanaugh were asking great questions that were really were giving indications or implying that he thinks the court should get out of the business of legislating abortion. You know, if there is um, a situation where the Constitution is not clear on an issue, it is the judge's job to to make a decision of ruling based on something other than themselves. The law, the Constitution, they, they have a benchmark to make their decision on. When that benchmark isn't there, they would have to look within themselves to make a decision and that's legislating. That's what Congress is there for. And so those kind of questions and indications are, were really encouraging. And there's certainly multiple outcomes, three different outcomes that could happen from this. Um, but based on the arguments made yesterday, you know, it's, it's either overturn Roe and Casey. Uh, there's a middle ground where they uh, uphold Mississippi's law, but don't overturn Roe and Casey, or they uh, or they let the law of the land stand. And from the arguments yesterday, it sounds like the middle ground option isn't really an option on either side. So I think we're in a situation where we're either overturning Roe and Casey or it's it's standing. And I think the indications are really encouraging and strong that this could be the this could be the moment. Yes, I you know, uh, Committee for Justice did kind of an analysis of this that I was reading this morning. And according to their thoughts after observing the arguments, there are, they think, six votes to uphold Mississippi's abortion law. But I think John Roberts himself said, I believe he said pretty explicitly that he was not inclined to overturn Roe versus Wade. That's what he hinted at, at least, at the very least. But they go on to say that they think there are at least five votes because Kavanaugh turned out to be a little bit, came out a more strong and clear, if you can tell by his questions, mm-hmm. that he would he would overturn Roe versus Wade. So, I, I mean, I think it's a pretty interesting outcome. Now, I do have a caution because I've been around too long. Um, well, let me just, the other side is, of course, uh, 
Well, they weren't there as much in as many uh, numbers yesterday. That's shocking to me because I've been around a long time, and abortion is the holy grail for the left. So this is what my caution is. I, I actually believe that the left is happy to sort of back off and maybe actually hoping that the court will overturn Roe versus Wade because they want something to energize their base for the midterm elections. That's really what I think is happening here, Janae, because I can't otherwise, mm-hmm. I don't think there's less enthusiasm for abortion on the left. I'm sorry. I'm just, uh, they're just so yeah. rabid in their hatred or their, yeah, hatred. I don't know how to explain it. They're, their lack of regard for human life, their proud preening about abortion, uh, and they're rabid about it. And most uh, liberal women and people and politicians are. They they don't dare say they're pro-life. There are no pro-life legislators, as you know, at least uh, at the federal level, who are pro-life. There are none left. They've been eradicated. So I think this is um, this is part of their tactic. I, what, your thoughts about that? Yeah, you know, I mean, you, you could be right, um, but my uh, I, I think you would agree that we're, we're grateful to live in a country that fights for freedom and fights to make ourselves better every day. And um, regardless of the political implications and regardless of public opinion, we have to do the right thing. Um, so the left is always going to be strategizing. You're right. There, there's certainly um, uh, often a, a darkness about it, but there's also a lot of hysteria and, and fear going around. Uh, so my hope and my prayer is that Roe and Casey are overturned, and it's pushed back to the states. This does not make abortion legal or illegal anywhere. It it only pushes the fight back to the states. So, you know, there would obviously be a a huge victory for conservatives and the pro-life movement affirming life. But we've got to roll up our sleeves and get to work because this is we've now got 50 fights in the states that, as you have alluded, the left is not going to let go. So we've, yep. we've got to be ready to go in these states. And regardless of how hard the fight is and what they'll plan uh, politically, it, it's our time to fight and do the right thing. Yep, I totally agree, Janae. I totally agree. Uh, it, just because they're doing that, which I believe they are doing that because I've been around them too long, uh, does not mean we don't fight to win this, which is what we're doing. And then we have to go to the next fight, which will be in all those That's states. Right. So you, you called it. It's absolutely right. Janae Strucky who, Strucky, who is with Heritage Action. She is their grassroots director, promising new young leader. Janae, thanks so much. I appreciate you joining me, and we'll talk again soon. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The church is growing big time in Latin America, and here's why. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. If you follow groups like Barna who measure church growth in America, they'll tell you it's somewhat stunted. In fact, it may have even dipped here in America. But it prompts you to look at where is it growing around the world. It's in places like Latin America because people are willing to suffer for the gospel. Let me tell you about a church outside of Caracas, Venezuela. They are rescuing women who are kidnapped and forced into prostitution by the drug cartel. They're serious about this. In fact, one of the members was killed by the cartel. His corpse pulled behind a truck to make an example to other Christians to stay out of the way to the cartel. But I can tell you this church is focused on what they believe God has called them to. And they have led more than a hundred women, former prostitutes to faith in Christ. And these women are needing Bibles because they're non-existent in that part of Venezuela. Please at $5 a Bible, make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org That's sendbiblesnow.org 
www.pawstopray.org. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for David Applegate, Acting Director of the U.S. Geological Survey. His agency studies the landscape of the United States, its natural resources, and the natural hazards that threaten it. Genesis 2.15 reminds us of the responsibilities given to us with our lands. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide David Applegate at the USGS. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. With the generous support of listeners like you, our radio ministry is in our fourth year on the air. Keep the power of prayer going and become a regular sustaining member. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. You need a university you can trust that offers a world-class education with the values, knowledge, and skills you need to succeed. That place is Liberty University, and now is the perfect time to start. This fall, Liberty celebrating 50 years of training champions for Christ, a mission that has not wavered since it opened in 1971. With more than 700 programs online and on campus, Liberty can help you turn your vision into a future you can be proud of. Text EXPLORE to the number 49596. That's explore to the 49596. The gunman opened fire just after lunch at Oxford High School in Michigan. Three students were killed, many others wounded, including a teacher. Tate Meyer was in the hallway when the shooting started. A 16-year-old, a linebacker, and tied in for the high school football team. While his classmates ran for cover, Tate tried to disarm the killer, a 15-year-old sophomore. It was an act of courage and bravery that would cost Tate his life. He was mortally wounded. A deputy sheriff found the boy bleeding to death in the hallway. He loaded the young hero into a squad car, but Tate died in the back seat. There is no doubt great evil in this world, and it was manifested in the act of the monster who killed those teenagers. But there is also great love in this world, and that was manifested in the life of Tate Meyer, a 16-year-old boy who laid down his life for his friends. I'm Todd Starnes. Christmas from American Family Radio and Sandy Rios in the Morning. With the new Omicron variant sweeping the globe, how do we finally put an end to this pandemic? How do we save lives and get business back to normal so everybody can put dinner on the table? Simple. The federal government needs to require vaccines, including booster shots, for everyone in America by, say, January 1st. There are still some things that need to be done at a national level, and this is one of them. But as we brace for another wave of new deaths from a virus that has killed more Americans than World War II or even the Civil War, it's time to admit that our government has lost the ability or the will to make our people do the right thing. Now we're engaged in a similar struggle with COVID, and Eisenhower would be aghast. We have immunocompromised people who are incubators for every variant to come, walking around lawfully unvaccinated? That's psychotic. We have companies that have tried hard to get people vaccinated and now backing down. We have governors who want to be president by grandstanding on a foolish state's right issue, the right to get sick and get other people sick. So it's time to admit that we have to go to war against COVID. Require vaccination universally. Have the military run it. If you don't want to get vaccinated, you better be ready to prove your conscientious objector status in court. And even then, you need to help in the war effort by staying home until we finally beat this thing. 
Then you know what would happen? Oh, there would be a new variant in some unvaccinated part of the world. Then someone flies here from there, and some of us will get a flu, and we'll take a pill from Pfizer once it can ramp up its antiviral, and it'll be like influenza. Now, it will kill some, but not many. Maybe 50,000, the average flu deaths for the last decade, not 500,000. Until the federal government gets serious and starts requiring vaccinations nationwide, you better get used to more COVID variant freakouts like we had last Friday. They represent our sorry, no good, all our fault future. Okay, so that's Jim Cramer of, uh, you know, what is it? Just the, the um, business report on, MS, uh, on NBC. So he's all excited. He thinks there should be a national mandate for vaccines and that the military should enforce it. You know, sometimes I think we are really from different planets. And I certainly discovered that. I was reminded again yesterday in D.C. Uh, with a cabbie. I started to get into the cab, and the first thing he said to me is, have you been vaccinated? I wasn't even in the cab yet. I said, no, I have not. And then he starts to rant. How? Why wouldn't you take the vaccine? You're putting people at risk. You know, you, you're crazy and blah. Uh. And so I said, you know, um, I'll tell you why I don't take the vaccine. If you really want to know, if you really listen, I'll tell you why I haven't had the vaccine. Well, he wasn't interested in listening, but I couldn't, <laughs> I could not contain my, I just had to tell him, even though he didn't want to listen, he'd talk over me. And I said, why, why are you, why don't you listen? What is it about this that makes you not want to listen? He said, I'm not listening to you. I don't want to hear it. I said, why, if you are standing, if what you're saying is true, why wouldn't, why, why would you be threatened by listening to another viewpoint? Uh, so he was all over the map, but he represents, you know, he's just doing, Fauci's great. He's the hero. We're, I'm following science. Uh, uh, just the, the talking points are so written inside of him. He's just a walking talking point. Uh, and I just, um, this is a lot of the of what it's like in the U.S. It's not, it has nothing to do with intelligence quotient. I mean, there were brilliant people. I think uh, Jim Cramer's a smart guy who just cannot shake out and consider that there might be another way to view this, that what they've been told might not be quite true. Uh, but, but it's the case, and we have to remember that uh, we, <laughs> who was it, Jim, was it Edwards who was running for president a number of years ago? who was the first one to say there are two Americas, John Edwards. Yeah, so, and we all go, huh, what? There are two, and he's right, he was right. There are at least two Americas who have divergent viewpoints on this. So the Biden administration uh, is now mandating that insurers reimburse for at-home rapid test for COVID and that travelers must be screened. So that's, he's kind of keeps hinting and hemming and hawing about what he's going to do about this new horrible, terrible, no good uh, Omicron uh, variant that's killing no one so far. It's just making a lot more people, you know, get test positive for COVID and then get slight uh, symptoms. That's what, so far, what we know about it. And that could change, I suppose. Uh, but of course, now we have to respond. You know, we've got to, uh, you've got to lock people up and uh, restrict them. And so that leads me to this. I haven't heard this any other place. But Rick Manning of Americans for Limited Government is a good, trusted friend of mine. And according to his sources, Joe Biden is about to issue a new order restricting Americans' right to travel and even likely forcing traveling U.S. citizens to be locked in their homes or a quarantine camp for a week. Did you catch that? This is about what he's getting ready to do. And I, like I said, I trust, uh, I trust Rick because he has great sources and he, he's an honest person. I'm going to read it to you again. Joe Biden is about to issue a new order restricting Americans' right to travel 
and even likely forcing traveling U.S. citizens to be locked in their homes or a quarantine camp for a week. And he said the order's coming in a matter of days. Uh, He writes, Biden wants to turn America into Australia, where every citizen coming back into the country must test for COVID multiple times and then be quarantined for a week. In Australia, the government there literally locks its traveling citizens in camps with razor wire fences. That means if you simply travel to Mexico or the Bahamas for a brief vacation, you'll be tested and then locked down and monitored for seven days. And he's still moving ahead full speed, meaning Biden, uh, with his various mandates on healthcare workers, government contractors, and most larger U.S. companies. So this, you know, we have to, our our members of Congress have got to, They've got to fight on this. That's our only hope of stopping this right now. I think we're winning in the courts, meaning we, who do I say by who's we? Who we is, are people that think that vaccines have some measure of danger, that they're still experimental, that they are harming people disproportionately, uh, that we have actually have some stats from the VARS report, which is very incomplete, that people are dying, that there are terrible reactions to this uh, from across a wide spectrum of people at different ages, Childbearing women, young men with myocarditis, older people, trembling, paralysis, you name it. So we're concerned about this. And the fact that it hasn't been tested, has not gone through rigorous test testing in all of these groups, is, and now that they want to vaccine our children, and we're already hearing about adverse reactions in children, that's the reason. So that's the people who I'm saying are we. We have to approach our congressmen, and we have to demand that they stand strong and fight back on this. And, you know, they're not strong on this because they folded pretty much like a cheap suit uh, in the early days and did not do any independent thinking. They were in the vortex of Washington, and most of them caved. And so uh, I find that people that now feel like they got it wrong, I, I don't want to laud it over them. I just want them to say, look, I was wrong about that, and I, I'm, I was wrong about it. I have a different view, and now go go to bat. Roll up your sleeves and go to bat. Don't you know, be embarrassed about your previous stand and then not do anything. That's what people tend to do. I, I don't understand that. You think you'd be more angry and, and ready to really fight against what they're doing. But uh, that's, if you go to um, Americans for Limited Government, they have a, a petition that you can sign and you can email Congress. It's very simple. It's Americans for Limited Government. And that you'll probably right at the top see uh, the information on this mandate that Biden's getting ready to impose. So um, I recommend that. <clears throat> okay, so yesterday, the um, January 6th committee, you know that committee, that didn't allow any Republicans except for Liz Cheney and, uh, what's it, Adam Kensinger from Illinois, who hate co- uh, Trump and voted for his impeachment, are there on that committee, and they're going after people who were there on January 6th with a vengeance. And one of them uh, was not there, but it's Jeff Clark, who was, excuse me, an attorney for President Trump. Uh, They're trying to get him to come before the committee. Of course, the committee's a kangaroo court. You cannot win before a committee like that. And they're out to hang anyone who comes before them. Steve Bannon is refusing. They're holding him in contempt. Steve is taking them to court and fighting back. Jeff Clark is a lower-level attorney for Trump. His crime is that he suggested that, (coughs) excuse me, that they go to the various states and ask them to delay. Excuse me. You know what? Let's do. Let's play a clip while I take a break here. Why don't you guys play the uh, Brian Stelter clip, clip six, please? 
You know, that me and my wife both work full time. We both make enough money to have a nanny during the day in New York. And, uh, and our nanny refuses to get vaccinated. And so we are parting ways with her. And it was very, very sad that we thought, we thought after six months of seeing the vaccines are all good and everybody's fine, that she would come around. Okay, so that's Brian Stelter of CNN actually boasting, I think, about letting his nanny go. His nanny probably doesn't make the money that Brian and his wife make, doesn't probably have the security to maintain, um, you know, a life without some kind of an income, refusing to take the vaccine, probably for good reason. Maybe Brian should have asked her. But his premise is that the vaccine, now we see it's all, everything's fine, there's no problems with it. Does he really not know? You know, I think he probably really does not know. I find people really that are supposed to be the thought leaders, uh, the news personnel, the writers, the congressmen in D.C. are absolutely clueless. They really don't know what the American citizens know. I told you that my doctor recently told me that in all of his years of practicing medicine, he had never seen a, case, a situation where his patients know more particularly about covid uh, than any of, any of the lawmakers, and that most doctors and nurses. The ignorance in the medical community is amazing. The cab driver that drove me yesterday told me he was a physical therapist, and uh, he's just like rabid that he's right about all of this. And I tried to explain to him how corrupt the CDC and the uh, NIH and the FDA had become and that they were not the gold standard. But, of course, he's just not going to listen to me. Uh, he started, you know, ranting about Trump and his orange hair. It was just a... <laughs> a conversation that was not rational. Uh, he was a smart guy. There wasn't anything wrong with his IQ. He just, he is blinded and will not listen. You know, I, I, I want to caution all of you to never get to that place. Uh, those of you on the right with me who have a view about life and abortion, gay marriage, and all of that stuff, do not get so locked into your position and repeating the talking points of others that you can't listen to someone who has a different opinion, and just listen to them and absorb it and think about it and then think of a rational response. I, I don't think there's any opinion or position we should hold on any issue. We never should be in a place where we hold those positions no matter what we hear. If you hear something contrary to your position, you should adjust your thinking. Make sure that the source is accurate trustworthy, uh, but you should not hold to a position just to hold to it. And just because you've already held it, you've always held it. Uh, so, uh, um, you know, I think the, the advantage of being a conservative is that uh, the opinions that and beliefs we hold about things are based on truth. Uh, for the most part, I'm sure that there are some exceptions, but for the most part, they're based on truth. It's like the, the knowledge of God, the existence of God, uh, the existence of his son, Je the birth of his son, Jesus, all of that. Uh, and the the incredible life change that he brings to people is based on reality. It's not fairy tale. And so when people challenge the existence of God, there's nothing they... Let them tell me. Why don't you believe? What are your reasons? Let me hear this. And uh, you may not have answers in the moment when people are telling you different things. You may not be able to reason your way through it, but that's okay. Just listen and absorb it and answer don't answer, don't get defensive, overpower. Just respond with honesty, like that's a good question. That's a good point. I don't understand. 
Uh, but we must learn to think critically, which means you know, make our way through the details, through the process, so that we can really defend what we believe in a very real way, because it is real, based on facts. All right, so the January 6th committee is going after Jeff Clark, and Jeff has used as his defense that President Trump declared executive privilege, which is his right to do that. Uh, but of course, no defense, you know, there's no protection in D.C. It's just like a group of rabid wolves, and so they've denied the president executive privilege about his conversations with his attorneys. Uh, and you can understand, even as a layperson or as a non-DC-centric person, uh, that you're, if you say something to your attorney, you want it to be private or your counselor. You don't want them going out and doing uh, you know, media interviews or sharing the private things that you have said to them. And that's just part of uh, standard law and practice. Uh, but they're, they want Jeff Clark to talk about what he said. And, and I don't know if I finished my sentence because I was coughing, but Jeff Clark is the one who said to the Trump team that we should um, go out into the states and ask them please not to certify the electors until we have this thing set or, settled. And uh, that's his big crime. And so now they want to bring him before the committee. And uh, I, I'm so I, I have this... Here it is. This is from Tom Fitton, also a Judicial Watch. He says, abuse of power. The jailing of political opponents is now the policy of the Pelosi committee. The select committee has unanimously voted to adopt the report recommending Jeffrey B. Clark for criminal contempt. And so that does mean jail time. And so this is, this is, this is where we are. Our, our enemies and Nancy Pelosi uh, want to jail people that disagree with them, and that's what we we don't want to do. We don't want to do that. I mean, if a person is violent, um, if they are, there are lines that can't be crossed, but if they just have a different viewpoint, that's what America is all about. Uh, we are supposed to be able to share our viewpoints. That's the other thing I got into the, with a the taxi driver. Uh, he said, well, you have a right. You have a right to do that. I said, well, yes. No one's stopping you. He said, I said, are you kidding me? Of course they're stopping those of us. They're mandating employers, you know, to make their... Employees get vaccines. Uh, they're firing people if they don't get their vaccine. And then he said, well, why not? Why shouldn't they fire them? I said, you, you just contradicted yourself. Now, shouldn't I be able to decide for myself? And shouldn't you be able to decide for yourself? Why should I be forced? Why should people be forced to do what you think? And so it was quite the conversation. And uh, my and my husband always said, why do you do this? Why do you start these conversations with cab drivers? You're out, you're depending on them. I'm not sure. He started it. Okay, i got to take a break. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Friendships is looking for full-time volunteer men and women who are serious about serving God, investing time in rewarding work, and helping people in need around the world. There is no charge to serve. Room and board are provided. A willing heart and a desire to work as part of a team are the primary skills required. Check out the opportunities at friendships.org or email portmercy at friendships.org. That's portmercy at friendships.org. Hello, I'm Gary Roby, host of Call to Worship, heard each Sunday on American Family Radio. This one-hour program will lead you in a special time of worship and praise. We will focus on God's Word, spoken, and in music. Call to Worship has a different topic each week as we glorify God together. 
Be sure to join us at 5 a.m. Central each Sunday for a call to worship right here on American Family Radio. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The book of Proverbs is one that flows with abundant insight for wisdom. It shows that one of the most prominent qualities of wise people is that they welcome and even celebrate life-giving correction. In today's world, overrun by cultural Marxism, there is much discussion as to what segments of our society hate themselves. Well, Proverbs gives the answer. He who rejects life-giving correction despises himself. The truest demonstration of self-hatred is revealed by knuckleheads who refuse to humble themselves and embrace life-giving correction. Loving rebuke saves lives. Correction displays love. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. It gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of In His Image has moved me. We actually had one gentleman contact us and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community. And this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same-sex attracted couple contact us and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what. And they said, please, Please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit inhisimage.movie. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Russia's Vladimir Lenin may not have said, quote, the capitalists will sell us the rope with which we hang them, unquote, but it's been a guiding principle for communists worldwide. Those in China have actually gotten capitalists to pay for the purchase of the Chinese-made rope as well. Worse yet, if you participate in pension plans or invest in mutual, index, or exchange-traded funds, chances are good that those Wall Street capitalists are using your money to enable the Chinese Communist Party's unrestricted warfare against us. This insanity is the subject of an urgent webinar sponsored today by our Committee on the Present Danger, China, entitled, Are You Investing in America's Destruction? Please join us at presentdangerchina.org to find out if you are and what you and other patriots unwittingly financing our mortal enemy can do to stop it. This is Frank Gaffney. Merry Christmas from American Family Radio and Sandy Rios in the Morning. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the Morning on Facebook or email Sandy at sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the Morning on American Family Radio. Exalted, 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 exalted.
All right, Sandy Rios with you. You know, it's hard to remember that it's Christmas time. Really hard. And this is the downside of this kind of work that we do. Uh, is that you get so caught up in, uh, in the, the every the you know the news and all of the the things happening on this earth that are drawing your attention that we're trying to fight that you forget the eternal things. And this is eternal. I know Christmas has been made a you know a human holiday with all the trappings, but it is really a wonderful thing to remember there's a Savior. King of kings and Lord of lords, and the government shall be on his shoulders. I look forward to that. I can't tell you how much I look forward to that. And so um, uh, early Merry Christmas as we start now this uh, month of December together. All right, so there is some really good news. This is probably one of the most important things, I think, my personal opinion, that AFA has done, AFA Action, uh, in a long time, so profound. And Rob Chambers, who is the Executive Vice President of AFA Action, joins me this morning to talk about what just happened. Rob, good morning. Thanks for joining me. Good morning, Sandy. Good morning. Okay, so what is it you guys did over there? Yes, well, for about nearly a decade, uh, AFA Action has been partnering with uh, iVoterGuide. iVoterGuide is a a Christian organization, a national ministry that, that, uh, that has a a coalition of volunteers and researchers and and several full-time employees and they're dedicated to to researching candidates finding out where they get their money uh where who endorses them uh who they endorse how they voted uh they research their public record and then they evaluate candidates and they determined uh they determine where they uh, are on a scale from uh, very liberal to very conservative and so AFA action has uh just recently uh in the process of acquiring that uh, that voter guide resource, so it will now become a division of AFA Action, and we're going to take that uh, I voter guide, and we're going to go further and deeper across the country. You know, Rob, this is just so cool. Let me say that this voter guide is unusual. It's more thorough than most. Do you want to explain that part, Rob? Yes. Well, Sandy, yes. A lot of times people think about voter guide. They think about their maybe their grandparents' voter guide in terms of you have one sheet of paper and then you have a list of issues down the middle, uh, sanctity of life, Second Amendment, you know, religious liberty, uh, things like that, national security. And then uh, you would have a candidate on either side opposing candidates and one would say oppose and the other one would say, you know, support, for example, on, on sanctity of human life. And uh, that was the extent of what people thought, or that's what voter guides were of yesterday. Uh, this takes it to a whole new level, Sandy. What we're what we're making available to to voters online is uh, is a snapshot, or really a, a detailed snapshot of of these candidates. We find out where they're getting their money. We find out if they're getting George Soros money, um, uh, Singer money. It just it, we we find out who 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 is funding them. So if they are saying things that uh, <clears throat> that would might would resonate with conservative voters but they're getting funded by liberals then uh, then we say okay all right well let's dig a little bit more and then we can find out exactly who these candidates are and we can really uh, determine uh, based on an analysis of how that particular candidate would vote should they uh, he or she get elected yeah and I just to, to give people an example uh, the pro-life issue kind of became a hobby horse for Republicans. So that early on, like I'd say back at even up into the 90s, uh, they would always say they were pro-life. Uh, but when push came to shove, mm-hmm. they weren't really pro-life. I remember that big fight where this is fast forward to mm-hmm. t- uh, 2000. I'm not sure which. But we were fighting the, the sale of baby body parts by Planned Parenthood. And even that did not bring 
Republican leadership to want to shut the government down. Oh, we can't do that. And Mm -hmm. yet they're pro-life, they say. So it's really meaningless. It's a meaningless determination right now. And I find that you can tell a lot more about uh, a, a candidate by who's endorsing them and where their money comes from, which oh, is kind of where you guys go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's another another example, Sandy, and even more recent is uh, the infrastructure bill uh, that the uh, Senate voted on. 19 GOP senators voted for a LGBT, G, LB, LGBT. I guess they'll, it'll Q. keep changing and plus and <laughs> yeah, all <of> that. <laughs> so, yeah, right, right. Anyway, so they voted, uh, 19 GOP senators voted for an LGBT uh, spending provision in that bill. That basically created um, a right to um, uh, a civil right for those types of uh, folks there, and it's just totally you know everybody has rights, but nobody has super rights, right? And right. Uh, and so what we now have is a is a note of how these nineteen GOP senators voted, and uh, they may say they're there for religious liberty, and uh, but here they voted for a provision in a in a sp- in infrastructure bill. And that is totally antithetical to uh, who America, what, what America was founded as, and uh, also antithetical to our view of religious liberty, because it would just certainly, uh, it would, uh, it could quite certainly undermine the religious liberty of people in, in, that would perhaps be in uh, broadband business as well. Yes, and I think the other a practical application is that candidates. Uh, now I'm talking to Republicans now, for the most part, not all of you. It's just that we can't find any conservative pe- conser- people who hold conservative views on the Democratic side right now. They, you just can't find them. So I'm going to speak to Republicans. Uh, many Republican candidates will say, I'm the conservative in the race. And that's meaningless, too. It's meaningless uh, because they may be their conservative fiscal policy, but they mm-hmm. don't mean conservative <clears throat> like you mean. And that's why this right. voter guide is so helpful. Also, I will say this. President Trump is, uh, you know, busy endorsing candidates, and sometimes he gets it wrong. You're right, Sandy. Sometimes he gets it right. And so we have to kind of take this on so that we can help people discern who is really conservative on the moral issues and the fiscal issues well, that's, before we that's, cast our votes. That is so it because, you know, we're looking at, uh, you know, next year, 2022 uh, primary elections. And this is where I believe the battle is going to be for the future of our country. It's uh, that's why I think this voter guide is so important that we be able to distinguish between who are who are the uh, liberal Democrats, the radicals, uh, the the rhinos and the true uh, conservatives in this primary election. And so this will make uh, voters aware of of where these uh, candidates are. So, for example, you would have Elise Stefanik, uh, who's who's. Um, the GOP leadership is, is put in a position of leadership. And unfortunately, in my opinion, it should have been someone else, but, but, uh, but she's, she's, uh, she supported for, she uh, supported the equality act the first go around. Then she opposed it. And now I understand she uh, supports fairness for all, which is basically an anti-religious Liberty, uh, approach to, uh, to the LGBT, uh, agenda. So, we're going to see more candidates that will say they're conservative, like you said, uh, Sandy, that they're going to say they're fiscally conservative. But on the social issues, we're going to see, I predict, more of those type of candidates in the primary. And I really believe we need to uh, make voters very aware aware of who those particular, uh, if you will, rhinos would be. Yep. And so let me uh, be specific again. It's I Voter Guide. I, you know, like iPhone, iVoterGuide, now a division of AFA Action. And if you want to know more about it, 
Uh, you can go to afaaction.net, afaaction.net. Now, the voter guides are not going to be, I don't think you're going to, there's nothing up and running yet for candidates for 2022. Is there? That's right. That's right. Yes. Nothing yet, but uh, but you can go back and look at uh, the incumbents, and you can see how they were scored. So you can at least go to your state, get familiar with the uh, with the voter guide, see how it operates. And uh, so there's information going back to probably you know 2018 elections, uh, primary and general election. But yes, it will be uh, beginning to be populated probably around uh, late February uh, when we will start having some of the initial primaries um, uh, going live. Can you quantify? the effectiveness or the reach of iVoter Guide in 2020? Oh, yes. I tell you what is just really amazing, uh, Sandy. Uh, the iVoter Guide <laughs> reached three point, over 3.5 million uh, voters in the 2020 election. I mean, that's pretty significant. We're wanting to take that from 3.5 to, to uh, 5 million in the primary, and we're wanting to grow it uh, by the presidential election 2024. We're wanting to, to uh, increase that. Uh, reach uh, upwards to 10 million people, 10 million voters, excuse me. Well, I think that's great, and I, I'm really excited about this, Rob. I think it's one of the most practical things we've done. You know, we, do you remember, I'm putting you on the spot here because I can't remember. True. <laughs> that uh, American Family Association, and that would be the under its umbrella or the sister organization, is AFA Action, uh, was ranked by some entity about our influence uh, on the last, yes. I believe it was the last election, or maybe oh. it was 2018. And do you remember what that was? Yes, that was in the uh, in the 2016. I don't know if it was Barna that did the research. If memory serves me correct, I think it was Barna and even others. But uh, they they looked at a a cross section of all media, all people that were engaged in the uh, presidential election in 2016, <laughs> and they identified AFA as uh, I think it was uh, I don't know number six. What are the, number six? That sounds uh, right to uh, me too. <clears throat> Something of like that. these huge major entities. Yes, I mean we were, like talking, we're talking about you know Fox News, CNN. Yeah. Um, at that time, I guess with the guy, um, these Fox News contributors, and so there's there's a whole uh, slew of, of people that were in the in the comp- in competition there, and uh, for that for that position, and in AFA was one of the most uh, influential uh, groups that were determined to have had an impact. I mean, look, we were yeah. we were taking these voter guides and we were having them printed and hanging them on doors across the country, especially in some of these swing states. And we were finding out when people had in their hand a voter guide <clears throat> or, or viewed it and they had not voted uh, in the past couple elections and they saw the difference was between the candidates, uh, they said, yes, I'm going to vote. And they ended up voting for uh, as we found out, the uh, the former uh, president, uh, Donald Trump. So it's the I Voter Guide, I Voter Guide, and you can go to visit uh, <laughs> to afaaction.net to find out more. I guess the way to remember is remember iPhone, remember I Voter Guide. Mm-hmm. That will help you. And as we get closer, we'll be talking about this, and I'll be bringing it to your mind as we get closer to the primary. We only have a couple of minutes left, Rob, but as you see the midterms coming up, your thoughts, I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, sort of pre-primary boasting about Republicans winning, but I want to know what your thoughts are about Republicans taking back the House and what might happen in the Senate. Well, I think I would be shocked if Republicans did not win back the House. That doesn't mean uh, I'm not saying everybody stay home and not vote. Uh, You know, you vote. uh, You know, I'm not saying which way to vote here, but I'm saying you do need to get out and vote. But the reason I say that that I think Republicans are going to win is that uh, Republicans have a control uh, in in uh, over the 
congressional redistricting process in about 180 states, and uh, and and Democrats only have that that power in about 70 or you know a little less than 80 states. So just that by that fact alone, uh, say you don't really mean that now. Say what you you, you don't mean 70 to 80 states. What I'm saying is, is that Republicans have power in about 180 congressional districts. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, I'm not going Obama on us and, and no, I'm going no, from okay, 50 good. to you There's know, more than 57 states. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank you. Yes, thank <laughs> you for correcting. So, yeah, so uh, so Republicans have control in about 180 con- to, to redistrict 180 congressional districts. Democrats have that same type of control only in uh, 70 or 80 congressional districts, meaning that that Republicans have the strongest advantage that they've had to uh, to win the House in a really long time. And uh, I, re- I predict that on really on that basis alone. I mean, if they if they fail that uh, in their redistricting, then, you know, shame on them for sure. OK, here's my wet blanket to be thrown on this. OK, okay. so I, I personally think. Oh, the only way conservatives are going to take back the House is to flood those polls with with workers, paid workers, monitoring, make sure there's no cheating, the mail-in ballots are handed properly. Uh, and the second thing is I think we need to be on guard that I do believe the left is happy to let Roe versus Wade be overturned because they're hoping to energize. I'm mm-hmm. This is my speculation, mm-hmm. hoping to totally energize their leftist base over that horrible no good mm-hmm. overturning, which we don't know if it's going to happen, but it could. Very right. Likely. Well, I concur with your wet blanket there because, uh, you know, if all things fair, I think Republicans win hands down. But, you know, with with your wet blanket theory there <laughs> is that, uh, yes, I mean, they're going to turn out, they're going to use Omicron to, you know, to probably use uh, mail-in ballots. They're going to, you know, potentially cheat. You know, uh, who knows? So you're right. Yeah. We need yep, election so, workers at the polls. Yes, yeah, and we've got to vote. Okay, Rob Chambers, Executive Vice President of AFA Action. Rob, thanks. It's great to talk to you, and uh, great work on this iVoter Guide. All right, Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. <laughs>